0: How's everybody doing? Good, good. Uh, yesterday was nice, huh? Right? It was nice. The sun. had not seen that in a couple of months. Um, that was nice. I was out mowing my. I know you guys don't care about this stuff, but I just want to tell you every, every thanks. Every year, um, every year I look forward to when I get to mow my yard again. And I'm a very like sometimes I can be a very prideful person, and I refuse to get a riding lawnmower. Because I live in the suburbs, and I'm like, we don't need riding lawnmowers, and so I have a push mower. And um, every year, the older I get, I look out as I am mowing. I mowed the front and back of my house the other day, and it looks beautiful and pristine, but I, I look out at all my neighbors who have riding lawn mowers, and every year I find myself getting a little bit more envious of them. <laughs> and I'm like sweating and dying, and they're just cool as a cucumber and just like enjoying it almost. And uh, I'm like, one day, one day, I'm going to give in and-, and get one of those, but... I don't know, there's like this man side of me. I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push this yard. There was even a time, I remember when we first bought our house, I'm like, I'm going to get, because, you know, I'm eco-friendly, I'm going to get one of those, like, you push it and it's got the blade things. And then my wife's like, Corey, don't be dumb, right? And I'm like, okay. So, uh, you know, at least I have one that has an engine on it, right? So, <laughs> We are in a very interesting book of the Bible. Most people have not heard of this book of the Bible. It doesn't mean you're a terrible Christian or anything like that. It's kind of one of those hidden nuggets in the Bible. And uh, it's a really, really fun book. It's short. It's very interesting. It's very unique. It's a book called Habakkuk, and it's in the Old Testament. And we did chapter one and a little bit of chapter two last week. And if you have a Bible, it's in the Old Testament, and it's the third to the last book before you reach the New Testament. And um, where we started off last week, and if you were here, I, I, I hope you found it interesting. This book, uh, it's a minor prophet. It's, a, it's a, again, a prophet named Habakkuk. And typically, in, in books of prophecy, there's these huge kind of elaborate and, and very detailed openings and in, in these intros where the prophet explains himself and his mission and his purpose and how he's speaking on behalf of God. Habakkuk doesn't do this he comes right out of the gates in the beginning of this very short book and he says, God, I'm confused, even a little angry. he says, God, there's all this injustice and there's all this evil and what are you gonna do about it? And it's pretty, pretty straightforward. It's almost brutally honest and that's kind of what makes it kind of enjoyable to read is wow, like this guy sounds like us, you know? He sounds like us when we're confused and we talked a little bit last week. We kind of ended on this note of we're gonna go through confusing times, we're gonna be angry sometimes, we're gonna have questions, and in those times, where do we go? Habakkuk went to the right place, he went to God with his confusion and his anger, right? And we have a tendency, we'll run to sex or drugs or porn or food, or we'll run to all these other different places, and that's unhealthy, right? That when we go through confusing times, we're, we're to run to the strong tower, we're to run to God. Now, as we do the rest of chapter two, We're going to talk about love, and God is going to warn us, the majority of chapter two is God speaking, okay? I think all of it, except for the first couple of sentences, is all God speaking, and he's going to warn us about five things, and that if we misproperly put our love into these things, that it's going to end in catastrophe. So there's a lot of talk nowadays, even in Christianity, just, just we need to love, you know, love is love, God is love, let's love on people, all these things. And we need to understand that there is, a, there, there is a time when we can misguide our love. Love can be incorrectly placed. And when it is, it's destructive, okay? That's kind of what we're gonna talk about a little bit today. So you should have a notes handout in front of you. Has, has, I think, everything I'm gonna say in it. Everything should be on the screens around the room. And if you have a smartphone, the Experience Community app, click on service time, sermon notes. Everything should be there. And uh, if you have a Bible... We're in the third to the last book of the Old Testament, okay? Habakkuk, and uh, short, sweet, concise, and very, very interesting. And we'll cut today's lesson up into very small chunks. Usually, I'll read, you know, four or five verses. We'll we'll cut it down, and we'll read a couple of verses, break it down, a couple of verses, break it down. Okay, all right. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, God, we love you. Lord, we want to tell you thank you, Lord. In all seriousness, God, thank you for a beautiful day yesterday, Lord, that we could get outside and enjoy the sunshine and and uh, just kind of relax a little bit. God, thank you for today, Lord. Um, thank you, Lord, that we can come into this place and we can worship and we can study and we can do, uh, we have the freedom to do this, God. Thank you for that. Lord, we pray that you bless this church today, God. Open up our eyes and our ears and help us to be sharpened, God, and, and help us to be encouraged and Lord, just help us today, God. Lord, we pray for every church in our city, that you sharpen them and encourage them and edify the body, Lord, and we pray that everything we do today, God, that it honors you, that it makes you proud, Lord, and that ultimately all the glory and attention goes right up to you, God, and not us. Lord, we thank you. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'm going to read a little bit. I'm going to start in verse two, all right, of chapter two of Habakkuk. I'll read a little bit and uh, break it down. Okay, here we go. Habakkuk says, "'The Lord answered me. Write down this vision. Clearly inscribe it on tablets so one may easily read it. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It testifies about the end, and it will not lie. Though it delays, wait for it, since it will certainly come and not be late.'" Look, God says, his ego is inflated. He is without integrity, but the righteous one will live by his faith. Moreover, wine betrays. An arrogant man is never at rest. He enlarges his appetite like Sheol, and like death, he is never satisfied. He gathers all the nations to himself. He collects all the peoples for himself." So if you weren't here last week, we left off, Habakkuk said, he asks God a question, he complains quite a bit in chapter one, but at the end of chapter one, the beginning of chapter two, Habakkuk says he's going to position himself like a watchman in a tower. I'm going to look for God, I'm going to listen for God, and now he gets an answer from God, a second answer. And in this answer, God says, write this down on tablets. Why tablets versus paper? Well, God wanted this to be preserved for the future generations. And in fact, the prophecy that Habakkuk was going to receive wasn't even going to take place for another decade. So it needed to be safe. It needed to be secure. Now this vision, the word vision there means something that is seen. And like I said, this vision that Habakkuk is going to get, he's not going to really see it until at least 10 years in the future. God also says, this is the truth. It's not gonna lie to you. So what I say is going to take place. And God says it's gonna happen at the appointed time. This means that what God says is going to take place is going to happen when God wants it to happen. That's, that's hard for us, and understandably so. I love what God says, though. He says, look, it's gonna be delayed, but it's not gonna be late. Sometimes we're like, God, what are you doing? God's like, I'm I'm doing it on my time, but my time is perfect time. Now, we need to understand that, and it's hard for us to understand because we live in a culture that's instantaneous, right? Everything is right now. I ordered that product on Amazon an hour ago. Where is it, right? That's how we are. Now, here's the thing. Whenever bad things happen to us, whenever evil is going on, another thing we need to remember is this. God sees all things. There is no evil that will go unaccounted for. And we need to take some some comfort in that. We know God sees it. We know God is going to deal with it and his timing is perfect. God also says, now if you weren't here last week, Habakkuk is worried because where he lives in in the land of Judah, where he lives, there is going to be an evil army that is going to sweep in, the Babylonians, okay? That's what he's concerned about and God says, look, even though I'm gonna use these evil Babylonians to teach you guys a lesson, they're gonna get theirs as well because they're prideful. The source of Babylon's evil comes from pride. C.S. Lewis, right, the great 20th century Christian author, said that he believed pride was the great sin because C.S. Lewis says, all sin derives from pride. Now, the result of an inflated ego that God talks about is we have a lack of integrity. Whenever any of us in this room have an inflated sense of self, right? We're just thinking about ourselves. We tend to hurt people. When we're only looking out for ourselves, we leave a path of destruction in our wake, right? We'll lie to people, we'll cheat people, we'll hurt people, we'll manipulate people. We will destroy things, right? And eventually that's going to catch up with us. That's one of the themes of this chapter is our destructive ways will catch up with us. The main theme, though, not just of this chapter, not just of Habakkuk, but really of the, one of the main themes of the entire Bible comes from Habakkuk 2.4, where it says that the righteous person will live by faith. Paul quotes this in the book of Romans, And Habakkuk shows us that in times of trouble, in times of darkness, what are we to do? We're to have faith that God loves us, faith that God wants the best for us, faith that God is going to take care of things. So what do you do when times get hard? You believe. You believe that God is going to come through. Those of you who are older in this room, I'm not talking about old, old, but those of you who have been a Christian for any length of time, we can look back on our Christian walk and it is amazing how faithful God is, right? We look back and see, wow, God, I didn't get it right there, but you knew what you were doing. Look at the outcome. Look at what has happened. Look what you have brought me through. We have to have faith. We have to have faith. Now, God tells us that if we're righteous and we live by faith, we will find contentment. We will be satisfied. We will be taken care of. But those that live unrighteously will never be satisfied. He uses the example of alcoholism, right? That wine betrays us. We think that drinking a lot is going to make us feel good and it usually gets us into trouble. That arrogance, right? That arrogant people never find rest. These lifestyles never satisfy. And again, those of you who've lived a couple of years in this room, you know exactly what this means. This resonates with you. What happens with sin is this. When we let sin into our hearts and into our minds, sin is never satisfied. The devil's appetite is insatiable. He wants to absolutely destroy you. He's not just happy that you're having an affair. He wants your entire marriage to be destroyed. He wants you to lose your job. He wants you to lose your family. The devil's main objective is to steal, kill, destroy. That's what the Bible says. It is an insatiable appetite. And when we think that we can let a little bit of sin in and just kind of compartmentalize it, it doesn't work like that. It gets a hold of you and it contaminates your entire soul, your entire mind, your entire body because the devil and sin have an insatiable appetite, right? That's what God tells us, okay? All right. Won't all those who take up a taunt against him with mockery and riddles about him they will say woe to him who amasses what is not his, how much longer, and loads himself with goods taken in pledge. Won't your creditors suddenly arise and those who disturb you wake up? Then you will become spoil for them. Since you have plundered many nations, all the peoples who remain will plunder you because of human bloodshed and violence against land, cities, and those who live in them. Now, like I said before, God is gonna give us five warnings in this chapter, five different things. They're called woes. And if you were with us when we were doing the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter eight, if you remember, because I know you guys remember everything I say, but in chapter eight of Revelation, (laughs) there's this angel that flies over and says, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. If you were with us, that word woe means Catastrophe, something bad is going to happen if we don't change the route that we're going in. This is the exact same thing right here. Not only is it a warning, he is saying, God is saying to Habakkuk, listen, these arrogant people are gonna come in and they're gonna dominate, but one day they're gonna fall. And when they fall, you'll be able to look at them and taunt them, right? That's what he's saying, okay? So these woes are catastrophes. Now as we get into these five woes or catastrophes, you'll notice that we still struggle with the same things. Something that I say a lot in this church from from in this little area that I speak in is that people haven't changed much. We've been dealing with lust and we've been dealing with greed and we've been dealing with being power hungry, all these things. We've been struggling with this since mankind was created. We just have different ways of doing it. So all of these things that were written 2,600 years ago are gonna apply to us today. Now, the first one was about greed. This is something, if we're honest in this room, virtually all of us have struggled with this on some level. When greed gets a hold of a people, I'm talking about a a civilization, a culture, it's usually the factor that tears it apart. God mentions that for those who are greedy, one day the creditors are going to rise up. This reckless pursuit of wanting more and more and more. It's gonna catch up to greedy people, that it's gonna get them. One day you're gonna overspend, you're gonna overcommit, you're you're gonna pursue too much, and it's gonna topple on top of you, right? The people are gonna rise up against you. God warns us of greed. Now what happens is this, is we always reap what we sow. If we reap a culture of greed, if we, if we, I'm sorry, if we, if we sow a culture of greed, of selfishness, if we show no mercy and benevolence to those who are less fortunate, one day we're going to become the ones who are less fortunate. One day, again, it's going to come back to get us. And it's interesting, the Bible talks a lot about how we handle money. It talks a lot about money. We're afraid to talk about money in church. And, you know, honestly, so many churches have been abusive with money. I get why people don't want to talk about money in church. But here's the reason why God talks so much about money in the Bible. We all have a tendency to want to hold on to it and be greedy with what we have. And what we fail to understand is everything we have is because God has let us have it. So God tries to teach us to let go of our money, right? And that's why God tells us to tithe, not because God needs your money, God, like, is walking around on streets of gold and there's pearly gates. He doesn't need your money, right? But God knows that if we can let go of money, we can let go of almost anything. It's a heart condition. That's why we give. That's why we're generous. That's why we tithe, not because God needs it. Look, I don't know if you guys know this. I don't get, like, a bonus if more of you guys tithe, right? You know, Julie, our accountant's like, hey, good week, Corey, go nuts, right? That doesn't happen. <laughs> But God will bless your life if you will learn to be generous with your money, right? It's a hard issue. That's what that is. So practically speaking, do you and I fall into cycles of greed? Yes, yes we do. All right? Do 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 we handle our money well? Like I said before, every dollar that passes through our hands is because the Lord is gracious. Well, Corey, I worked for it. Well, the reason you have an able body to do that is because of God's goodness. Everything is because of God. Everything. So every dollar that passes through our hands, are we being good stewards with that? Do we trust the Lord with our income? Guys, I, you know, we're just talking about it. I don't know who gives at this church and who doesn't. I don't care to know, honestly, I don't, I don't wanna know. If you give it to this church, don't walk up and tell me that, I don't wanna hear it. But let me tell you, I have never had a, a, an excess of money, just, just too much money I didn't know what to do with. But I've always been able to provide for my family, God has always put a roof over my head, he has always taken care of me, and I believe that is because my wife and I have always trusted the Lord with our money. We're faithful with that. Listen, when we are faithful with our money, when we are benevolent with our money, is it because we want to bless others or is it because we feel like we have to do it? If you give to this church because you just feel like you have to, you've missed the point. I'd rather you not give because we're to give with a joyous, happy heart, right? I get to help churches in New England. I get to help people in other countries. I get to help feed the poor and clothe the naked. I get to help the single mom who can't buy gifts for her kids this Christmas. I get to do that, praise God. That should be the attitude behind it. But if you're doing it begrudgingly, you've already missed the point. You've missed the entire point of it, okay? Second thing he warns us of is exploitation. God says woe to him who dishonestly makes wealth for his house to place his nest on high to escape the grasp of disaster. You have planned shame for your house by wiping out many peoples and sinning against your own self. For the stones will cry out from the wall and the rafters will answer them from the woodwork. Now the second warning goes towards business ethics how we work, institutions, individuals that succeed by taking advantage of other people, either by illegal means or just unethical means. Now listen, if you work for one of these places, I'm sorry, I'm not taking a personal dig at you. I just don't like these kinds of places. But every day when I sit and I drink a cup of coffee at the Memorial Starbucks, there's a fast cash place here, there's one there, and there's one right across the street, three within one block, I can't tell you how many people have sat in my office and their lives have been absolutely ruined by places like that. They get into a point of desperation, they walk in there, they sign a bunch of papers because they need to pay their mortgage or whatever the case may be, and they get a 50% interest rate, and within a couple of months, they're ruined. They're wrecked, they're crushed. And I think places like that, I think it's wrong. I can't believe most of them are legal. They take advantage of people in hard situations because of people who've made unwise decisions sometimes. There are businesses that take advantage of people's vices. How many people do you know manipulate people in sales and things like that? They have poor business, business ethics. God warns us about that. God even predicts that there will be a backlash to that. He tells Habakkuk, he says, the stones are going to cry out. The wood from the rafters are going to cry out. One day, the people are going to have too much of these oppressive institutions and crooked people that take advantage of them, that not only are the people going to rise up in rebellion to this, but that God sees this as well and will ultimately judge these unethical business ethics, right, and how they do business. Now, listen. I know that probably all of you in this room don't own large corporations or CEOs or CFOs or COOs or whatever all the different titles are, right? But I would say the majority of us in this room have a job. And so we need to ask ourselves, in our job, are we being ethical? If you're a salesman or saleswoman, are you being ethical? Are you selling a product to maybe someone that doesn't need it? And maybe you know that it'll even hurt them financially, Are there business ethics? Are we being Christ-like in the marketplace? Have we supported industries that have done this? And, And how do we combat this? How do we combat poor business ethics and things that just aren't right? What does the Christian do about that? The third thing that God warns us about is violence in a violent culture. God says this, He says, woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and founds a town with injustice. Is it not from the Lord of armies that the peoples labor only to fuel the fire and countries exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the water covers the sea. Now, Habakkuk was was worried about war and God was actually talking about a war. These Babylonians are going to come in, they're going to pillage, they're going to plunder, they're going to kill a lot of people. And God says, woe to people that do that. Now listen, there are some Christians that are anti-war at all costs. Now the Bible actually says there's a time for war. In the last hundred years, we've seen that, right? World War II, there was a reason for us to step into that. Even in the 1990s when when the Desert Storm War was going on, there was hundreds of thousands of innocent Kurdish people being slaughtered by an evil dictator. We should have stepped into that. It was the right thing for us to do. War should be a mechanism to defend the innocent. It should not be a mechanism to dominate other people, right? That's when it becomes an evil thing. And so here's the thing. Whenever a civilization, whenever in culture has an absence of God, the more absent God is from a people, the less valuable people are. Human life becomes cheap in the absence of God. Look at Vietnam. Look at Nazi Germany. Look at modern-day mercy killings. Look in our country. We have riots and human sex trafficking. We have infanticide, we have doctor-assisted suicides for the elderly. We abuse people, we have violent crime. So the less and less that the United States honors God, the more and more human life is going to become cheap. And look at what we watch. Guys, it's no wonder. It's no wonder that human life is cheap. Look at what we watch, look at what we listen to, look at what we glorify. We wonder why young women are abused and taken advantage of and degraded by men. Well, it's no wonder most of our pop culture music calls them sluts and whores and other words, right? So it's no wonder that men don't know how to treat women. We have a culture that honors degrading women. It's no wonder why so many women are bulimic because we paint this portrait that if a woman is not a size zero, there's something wrong with them. It's no wonder why we treat each other the way we do. We glorify these things. It's no wonder, I talked about it last week, when we give our nine-year-old son a video game where he can beat up an old woman and steal her car and shoot someone in the head. It's no wonder why kids walk into a school and shoot the place up, right? And then we sit back in horror saying, how did this happen? You're the reason why it happened. Those video games and the music, and people say that those things don't have an effect. Of course they do. Jesus Christ said that what we take in through the eye contaminates the entire soul. That means what we look at matters. Well, Corey, it's just music. It's just video games. Man, when I used to play music for a living, I would see thousands of people. People on the stage could say, go out and kill, and they would go out and kill. There was a lot of control with that. Plato said, Plato, right? Maybe you've heard of the philosopher Plato. Plato said that the walls of the city can be moved by the music right? There's a lot that goes into that culture. And when we create a violent culture, we're going to get violence. We're a culture right now to where if a fight breaks out in school, we don't break it out. We we don't break it up. We get our cell phones out, right? If there's road rage on the highway and two guys get out of their car and they're killing each other in the street, we don't stop it. We videotape it. (laughs) Oh yeah, we laugh about it. We think it's cute. That's the culture that we're in. And God says a culture that reap or or sows that kind of violence. What did Jesus say to Peter? Peter, put down the sword because if you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. That's what Jesus said. And we've become a violent culture. So let me ask, is it our job to protect the weak? How do we handle our anger? You know, it's not a sin to get angry. It's what we do when we're angry. How do you handle your anger? How do you handle when people get angry at you? Thursday, Kyle and I had to drive to Tuscaloosa, Alabama and back, right? I'm reminded how much I don't like the state of Alabama. But I drove all the way through Alabama, all the way to Tuscaloosa. I'm sorry if you're from Alabama. But on the way there and on the way back, I was flipped off on the highway twice. I was flipped off more on the highway in one day than I have been in the last decade. And of course, you know, like things run through your head. One is, you know, hey, I'm an adult, just take it. The other is, I'm gonna gonna run you off the highway. I didn't do that (laughs) on either case. (laughs) But sometimes we have to ask ourselves, not only do I handle my anger, how do I handle it when people get angry at me? Do we condone violence? Do we promote violence? Should we be surprised at the culture we live in? I don't think so. Maybe you do though. Maybe you don't think any of those things have an effect on our children. That's okay. Woe to him who gives his neighbor drink, pouring out your wrath and even making them drunk in order to look at their nakedness. You will be filled with disgrace instead of glory. You also drink and expose your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter disgrace will cover your glory. For your violence against Lebanon will overwhelm you. The destruction of animals will terrify you because of your human bloodshed and violence against lands, cities, and all those who live in them. Now, this fourth warning is about intoxication. Now, this is gonna work on a couple of levels. Now, listen, if you're in here and you enjoy craft beer or a glass of wine, you're going to be okay. I'm not going to beat you up, right? But we're going to talk about intoxication a little bit. The first thing we learn is this. Intoxication is a sin regardless of the means. I'm kind of shocked at how many Christians nowadays say, Corey, I just smoke a little bit of weed. In my day, weed got you high. That's still the case, right? That was the point of smoking weed, right? Unless times have changed, we smoked weed to get high. Now, whenever people say, well, I just smoke a little bit of weed, well, does it get you a little bit high? That's intoxication, and that's a sin. Secondly, we learn that getting others intoxicated in order to take advantage of them is something that God will not tolerate. It is very, very evil. Thirdly, we learn that oftentimes intoxication leads to violence. So this is going to hit on a couple of different levels. Now here's the thing about alcohol, let's, let's just focus on that for a second. There's a lot of churches that say it is a sin to drink at all. That is not true. I cannot biblically show you that it is a sin to drink alcohol. Drinking is not a sin. But we have to look at why people drink. We must also take into account, some of us have addictive personalities. It's me. Whatever I do, I typically do it too much. So I know that I need to stay away from alcohol because quite frankly, I don't handle alcohol very well. So I don't drink, my wife doesn't drink. Some of you also need to take into account that some of you have alcoholism in your family tree. And if that's the case, I advise you stay away from it because you have it in your genes to be an alcoholic and I advise just not messing with it. Now again, drinking is not a sin. But if you choose to do this, one has to be mature because whenever sobriety is compromised, Satan comes right in and does a lot of destruction. Look at what Peter says. He says, be sober-minded because your adversary, the devil, is walking around like a lion looking to devour you. How many stories have you heard? I've heard a ton. A young lady had too much to drink. She was at a party, woke up, and some awful things were taking place. Because the guard was let down, and there are evil people out there, folks. So we must be careful. We live in a very self-indulgent world, and in a very self-indulgent world, the Christian must be disciplined. Paul says just because it's permissible to do something doesn't mean you always have to do it. This means that we need to pray before we engage in these things. So just practically speaking, ladies, you need to be careful who you're around. You need to be careful what you're doing with other people. I remember when my wife and I first got married, there was a young lady that lived in the house right next door to us, very attractive woman, and she would wear a halter top and short shorts and go running at 11 o'clock at night. And I remember thinking, you can't do that in this day and age. And I know a lot of women are like, I should be able to do it. You should be able to do it But you can't because some people are crazy and violent. It's the same thing, ladies. If you're going to have a glass of wine, don't have 12 of them and don't have them with a bunch of guys that are looking to take advantage of you. Something bad is going to happen. Well, Corey, I should be able to do whatever I want. Okay, that's fine. Be unwise and put yourself in that position. Something awful is going to happen and you won't be able to undo certain things. Leaders. Be wise about how you do things. Listen, I'll be honest with you. There are people on my staff that like craft beer and like a glass of wine. I ask my team to not drink in public. It's not because we're trying to be dishonest. It's because some of you have worked very hard to overcome alcoholism, and I don't want to be a stumbling block, and I don't want my team to be a stumbling block for you. So it's not that we're trying to be deceptive. We just don't want to accidentally tempt someone to do something wrong. If you're going to drink, know your limits. Know how far is too far. Be wise about these things. Paul says this. Let us not sleep as others do. Let us be awake and be sober. Look at this. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But look at what he says. We are not people of the night. We are people of the day. So be sober. Be sober. Put on faith and love but on the hope for salvation. That's what we're called to do. So practically speaking, do we use wisdom and discernment when it comes to drinking? If you drink, I want you to ask yourself, why do you do it? If you genuinely love the taste of a craft beer or a fine wine, there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. If you're drinking 24 PBRs a night, there's probably an issue, right? Because that stuff tastes like urine, right? (laughs) So there's probably a heart issue there. (laughs) Maybe a taste issue as well. (laughs) Besides alcohol, though, what intoxicates us? It doesn't have to just be alcohol. Some of us are intoxicated by food, by gluttony, by overconsumption. What intoxicates us? Do we lose control to these things? Does it compromise our sobriety? Do you and I understand why God wants us in a clear mind? Because whenever our mind is not clear, that's when the devil comes in. That's when bad things happen. That's why drugs are wrong. That's why overconsumption of alcohol is wrong because it compromises our mind, okay? And God doesn't want our mind compromised. Last part. Habakkuk says, "'What is a carved idol after its craftsman carves it?' "'It is only a cast image, a teacher of lies. "'For the one who crafts its shape,' trusts in it, and makes idols that can't speak. Woe to him who says to wood, wake up, or to a mute stone, come alive. Can it teach? Look, it may be plated with gold and silver, yet there is no breath in it at all. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let the whole earth be silent in his presence." So the first commandment in Exodus 20 says not to put any other gods above the true God. Now, just for clarity, I'm going to get a little offensive here for a second. Just for clarity, there are no other gods. There's no competing gods in the cosmos with the true God. There's only one God. All other gods, lowercase g, are things that we've manufactured in our minds. In fact, Paul takes it a step further. Paul says that all these things we manufacture in our minds, these other gods, are actually demonic influence. This is where it gets offensive. If you ever study Hinduism, and I'm not against Hindu people, but I'm against a false belief. When you have 330,000 different gods, Ganesha and Vishnu and Brahma and Krishna, all these different gods, Paul says those aren't other gods. That is demonic influence on confused people, and we need to stay away from those things. Those things are not to be messed with, right? That's dangerous, evil stuff. Now, in the United States, we don't typically see a lot of that, right? You don't go to someone's house to eat dinner, and they have like a carved idol in the corner, and they're like, hey, that's our God, Bobby. We pray to him before we eat. That kind of stuff doesn't happen a lot. If it does, don't eat that food, right? (laughs) Now, we brought some Cliff bars. We're just going to stick with this. We don't see... (laughs) We don't see that kind of idolatry a lot in the United States. What we do see is we see the worship of houses, the worship of cars or phones or the worship of televisions or jobs. Or We see that kind of idolatry. And Habakkuk kind of pokes fun at this. He says, man, you can make it. You can even cover it with gold and silver, but it doesn't talk. It doesn't breathe. What good is it for, right? The idea, Habakkuk is saying... The idea that something we can make brings us salvation or contentment, that's foolish. That's craziness, but how often do we do it? If I can just get that TV, if I can just get that car, if I can just get that house, I'll be content. Habakkuk says that's ridiculous. Nothing brings contentment except for the one God. Habakkuk also wanted to balance the idea of this kind of dead wood and stone compared to the true God. Habakkuk said, you guys make these idols, let's just take TVs for instance, right? We'll kill old ladies to get to the cheap ones during Black Friday or whatever, right? So we'll do this, we'll hang it on a wall and it'll collect dust. Habakkuk says why that idol is collecting dust, the true God sits on a throne in heaven. You're worshiping this thing that is dead and the living God is right there. Now here's the deal guys, let's balance this. Nothing wrong with you guys having a nice TV driving a nice car, or having a nice house. There's nothing wrong with you making money or being successful. The problem with a lot of us is, is we focus so much time, money, and energy on things that should be below God that we inadvertently put them above God. That becomes a God above the true God that becomes idol worship and that is breaking the first commandment. It's a sin. And sometimes we don't mean to do it, But we just put so much love and adoration into things that they creep their way up the priority list to the top. And we realize, wow, I have made something a God in my life. What it is, is it's misguided love. It's misguided love. We often say, even in the Christian world, right? We say these things a lot. Well, you know, we have all these programs at church. We teach whole books of the Bible. We do all these things, community service projects. We want to focus on good theology. And a lot of people say, well, Corey, just God is love, right? God is love. Love is love. I love love. We just need to love on people, Corey. But if you don't understand the proper definition of love, that can go all kinds of crazy ways. It can actually become quite destructive, well, Corey, I don't discipline my kids because I love them. Well, Jesus said he disciplines us because he loves us. Sometimes we have to hear the hard things because true love has discipline. True love has judgment. Corey, we're not supposed to judge. Matthew 7 two right? No, no, no. It says that we're not to judge unless we are able to be judged by the same standard. Your life is full of judgments all the time. We're to have righteousness judgment. Love is supposed to be properly placed. We have to have a definition of what godly love is. But some of us have fallen in love, but we've fallen in love with the wrong things. The Bible says, for the love of money is the root of all evil. Money is not the root of all evil. It's misguided love that is the root of all evil. It's the love of money. It's the love of success. It's the love of violence. Well, Corey, we don't love violence go on Netflix, and just skim through the movies, right? We do love violence, we love dark things, we love confrontation, we love fights, we love carnage, and wreckage, and bloodshed, we love it, intoxication. Whole nation right now that thinks marijuana is just God's gift to humanity, right? Well, it grows, we should be able to partake in it, right? You're an idiot. Poison ivy grows too. Smoke some of that. I mean, like, use your brain, people. (laughs) Let's move on here, right? Yeah, there we go. (laughs) I got 10 minutes to recover from this. All right. So what we have done, though is we throw around the word love so loosely that God is warning us in Habakkuk chapter two that misguided love is going to love people straight to hell. It's going to take us in the wrong direction. God warns us of misguided love because improper love leads to destruction. Well, I just fell in love with the woman next to me at work. Well, you're married to another woman that's misguided. That's not okay. It's gonna tear apart your family. It's gonna tear apart your children. It's going to wreck things. It's going to leave destruction. It's misguided. That's why the Bible says don't follow your heart, because your heart will lie to you. It will mislead you. Well, I just fell in love with this. You're not supposed to fall in love with that. It's misguided, and misguided love hurts people. The products of these five woes that we talked about is catastrophe. It will come up short. It will come back to get you, That's why we have to make sure our love is in the proper priority. Look, I love old cars. I love old cars. I don't love old cars as much as God, my wife, my children, my church. Cars is way down here. I love them. They're cool. But it's way down on the list. Gotta keep those things in priorities. I love my job. I do. I love my job. 90% of the time, I love my job. (laughs) You may love your job, but I don't love it more than my family. They're gonna get the best of me. This is gonna get the second best of me, right? We have to put things in the proper order because if our love is misguided, it's going to destroy us. It's going to destroy us, okay? Here's what I wanna ask of you today, okay? If you decide to take communion today, I just wanna focus on this for a second. Everyone is welcome to take communion. There are communion stations all around the church. You're welcome to go get that. You can go back to your seat. Kyle will play a song. And in that time, listen, I would, I'm going to ask you to do a favor for me. As you're holding the elements, the, the body and blood of Jesus, the wine and the bread, why don't you ask God and, and be sincere, God, have I put something above you? Maybe if you can't think right now that you have, but maybe kind of accidentally other things in your life have crept up above God. It may be even things that are good things. Your spouse may have crept up above God. Now, I want you to love your spouse. I don't want you to love your spouse more than God. You can't properly love your spouse unless God is first. So maybe even good things have crept up above God. But what I want you to do today is honestly ask God, sincerely ask God, God, have I put something else in front of you? And if you have, you just need to say, God, forgive me. I'm going to put things in the proper order. Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God, and everything else will be worked out for you. Everything else just kind of naturally finds its way into the proper space if we will just put God first. If you're in here and you are not a Christian, Dave is up here to my right, your left. If you have any questions for him, if you're just curious, please come talk to Dave. There will also be men and women on both sides of the stage if you need prayer for anything, okay? I love you guys. Make sure your love is in the right direction, okay? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, God, we love you. We love you so much. Father, Lord, if we've put anything above you, God, please forgive us. Give us the wisdom, God, to just examine our hearts and to to trust you. And Lord, give us the courage to put things in the proper order. We know and we believe, God, that if we seek you first, if we love you first, God, all the other things are gonna line up. We believe that. Jesus, bless my friends in this room. Bless my brothers and sisters. Keep us safe, God. Direct us, guide us, give us wisdom, Lord Jesus, until we meet together, meet together again, Lord. We love you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys are welcome to help yourself. Thank you so much, guys.